0: We are on our fourth Sunday of this Advent. We have looked at how we get to be people of hope and of peace and of joy. We're supposed to be that in our families, in our employment, uh, wherever we go on a daily basis. We're supposed to be uh, those things, hope, peace, and joy in Walmart. We're supposed to be those things at Dunkin' Donuts. We're supposed to be those things when we're at the doctor's office. Anywhere we go, that's our opportunity to our opportunity to be hope and peace and joy and today we learn about love we turn ourselves from the waiting and the longing of Jesus's eventual return to earth so that he can make everything right again so that we get to focus on his first trip to earth and the nativity Last week we heard the angels proclaim about the good news that would cause great joy for all the people. And we, we expect to see the shepherds watching over their flocks by night. We expect to see that innkeeper with the stable full of soft and sweet smelling hay. We expect the pregnant Mary on the brink of delivering her child... And we come to expect all this wrapped up in this wonder and beauty and nostalgic simplicity. What an idyllic night that must have been. At least that's what our nativity scenes show for us. They portray this clean and crisp story. The angelic faces, the resting animals, a clean stable. Even the Christmas song, Away in a Manger, says that the baby Jesus didn't cry. Do you believe that? No? (laughs) Probably not. I know that there are some that are not familiar with this story, but most uh, most of us are so familiar with this Christmas story that we sanitize what actually happened that night. And maybe we read what we read last week in Luke chapter 2. And we think that the story is, uh, uh, we think about the story, and as we do that, we remove all of the messy humana- humanity of that story. We remove the swollen feet of Mary. We remove the noise of that stable as the animals were disturbed. Who was this couple coming into their stable? We remove the smells of that said stable. (laughs) We remove the road grime on poor Joseph and Mary. We remove the blisters from his feet. But this isn't the only place that we sanitize this story. Luke chapter 2 makes this story seem like it's a fairy tale, like it's calm, it's quiet, it's tranquil, and it's peaceful. But the Word of God also contains another version of the story. It's found in Matthew chapter 1, and it paints a completely different picture for us. In this story, there is no mention of shepherds in a field. There's no mention of sweet-smelling hay. And so we're going to read this version, Matthew's version of the Christmas story. So I would, I'd really like you to bring out the, take out that pew Bible bring out your Bible, bring out your device, whatever you have God's Word on, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1 with me because there's something other than this passage that I need to show you. See, Matthew plunges us right into the middle of some very messy family dynamics here. We know the truth, but imagine how it was played out. Imagine how it actually happened 2,000 years ago a betrothed and supposed virgin ends up pregnant. And the man she is engaged to finds out about it. This is not a peaceful journey from Bethlehem. This is not a Hallmark movie, (laughs) right? This is a mess. This is a mess in in a culture and a religion Where the punishment for adultery is to be stoned to death. This is a difficult place for a man who is so filled with love and compassion, but also righteousness and and dedication to his faith and to his religion. This is a disorder in the first degree. This isn't a fairy book tale, this isn't a, a, a tale from some sort of storybook, this is a soap opera. Playing out in front of our eyes. And this is a story where we get to talk about the love of God. The love of God that is so great that not only did he enter the world in this missy stable, but he also enters into the missiness of our humanity. So, Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 18. Matthew says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. when joseph woke up he did what the angel of the lord had commanded him and he took mary home as his wife but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name jesus this is matthew's version of the story if you if you look at this version if you go above the story you see that matthew decided to start his gospel he decided decided to start this story in a different way. He started with the lineage of Jesus. And so if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Jesus was born into the royal lineage of King David. This isn't just some random list of people. It wasn't just a list of Jesus' ancestors and where he came from. This isn't just the genealogy of Jesus. There's some very interesting things going on in that list of people. Uh, That letter A there, this lineage also mentions four or five women. If someone from this time period were to recount the ancestors, their ancestors, they would probably go from their dad to their grandpa, to their great-grandpa, to their great-great-grandpa, and so and so forth, all the way through the males of their family. And they would say, that is my lineage. But Jesus' lineage mentions these five women. This is not typical. Of these women, there are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Uriah's wife, whom we know better as Bathsheba, and of course, Mary. And if we look at these women, the first was involved in an incest scandal. The second was a prostitute. The third was a Moabite, which the Jewish people considered just as bad, if not worse than being a prostitute. The fourth was trapped in this missy scheme of rape and adultery by King David. And the fifth turns up pregnant before marriage her be there is Joseph and Mary are mentioned in the lineage of Jesus for a reason. See, naming Mary was important because Matthew wanted to emphasize to his readers the virgin birth. But naming, Jesus, or naming Joseph connects Jesus all the way down to the royal lineage of King David. See, way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, it says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in that land. And that righteous branch is Jesus Christ. This king is also the baby that we see in the manger. Letter C there is mentioning Joseph was critical for Jewish believers. See, Jesus ends up being Joseph's adoptive son. And in those days, if a man claimed that a child was his, he was considered in everybody's eyes. There was no question from that moment that this was that child's father, regardless of biological parentage and in legal terms and in relational terms, as well as all matters related to inheritance. This is his son. And if you claim that child is yours in their culture, all questions ended, all debate was over, you were that child's father. But there's something else that's going on here uh, with Matthew's account. Matthew mentioned that Joseph, as Jesus' earthly father, he mentions that in that lineage before he ever mentions the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. It may not sound like a whole lot, but there's something that's going on here. And there's a reason that Matthew would have done it this way. I think he's trying to make a point. And so he's telling us and he's telling the Jewish readers at the time that regardless, regardless of all the drama that you're, just, you're going to read here in just a little bit about all this premarital pregnancy stuff, Matthew's wanting to set the record straight right from the beginning. A member of the royal lineage of King David makes this pregnancy legitimate. An heir, an heir to the King David himself will claim this baby as his own. In modern terms, it's kind of like Matthew is saying, back off, everybody. Back off. I know what you're going to read here in just a little bit is disturbing, but you don't need to get yourself into a little tizzy fit about this. You don't need to create a stink over this. Joseph, an heir to your beloved King David, says this is okay. So just the fact that Matthew has to go to this trouble. Leads us to point number two. Write this down. Jesus is born into a mess. He is born into an absolute mess. Whether or not Joseph adopts Jesus doesn't change the fact that everything else in this story is messed up. It's all messed up, especially in the eyes of this this, uh, Jewish society. Joseph was betrothed to be married to Mary. In other words, we would call that he was engaged to be married to her. But engagements were handled then a little bit differently than they were today. A betrothal was a contract between these two families. It wasn't a nice proposal on bended knee with a fancy ring. It probably didn't happen like that at all. It wasn't just a promise to be married in the future. It was more of a statement that this marriage had already begun. Sometimes money or sometimes goods called a dowry were exchanged from the groom over to the bride's family. That was what happened to the betrothal stage. When Carol and I came here to Peek and some of you already knew me, some of you already knew Carol. And so on our very first Sunday when we were introduced, Tyler Sherwood yes, I'm calling him out today Tyler Sherwood, Cheryl's son, saw my beautiful wife for the first time and said, "Holy cow, what kind of dowry did he have to pay to get her?" <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. Brother Tyler just got engaged as well. So, uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, although I will tell you that also when I told Carol's mom of my intentions that I was going to ask her to marry me, the very words that came out of her mouth were, well, that's interesting. <laughs> she loved me. She did. She, she loved me. But engagements during this time and this day were so, so different, and they were so very hard to call off. You didn't just stop an engagement. It wasn't like somebody got cold feet and decided not to go through this marriage. It was a contract that needed to be broken in between not just the, the groom and the bride, but between these two families. And so calling off an engagement required a divorce, the breaking of this contract would mean that this woman was now destitute. She was now dependent upon her family. She would be seen from this moment on as unworthy to ever be married again. And so, in an engagement, although the wife did not have to, or the, although the wife didn't live with her husband until the marriage was complete, They were expected to to live in a life of fidelity of a married couple. And often during this time, the husband would go and he would prepare by building a house and preparing for his new family. And he would set things up for his new wife to move in after the marriage ceremony. And unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness in a betrothal was a reason for someone to be stoned to death see women caught in adultery were ushered right outside of town and they were stoned to death so that their dead bodies did not defile or make the town unclean that is what our young mary is facing At the very least, Mary would have been viewed by her entire community as being unfaithful to Joseph. They would have thought no differently. They had no reason to think anything differently. Nobody else knew about the Holy Spirit's involvement. And if they had have heard this, do you think they would have believed it? Probably not. There's other stories that we could go back in God's word. We could find other stories of miraculous births. We could look at Sarah and Hannah and Mary's cousin Elizabeth. But all of these women still had a husband. Not Mary. Not officially. Not yet. And remember, Joseph learns about this pregnancy before the angel appears to him. We don't know how he found out. We assume that Mary told him. Perhaps maybe he even heard rumors and he confronted her about it. But however he found out, we can be fairly confident that that initial conversation between Mary and Joseph probably wasn't a good one. We can be confident that he thought, he would have thought that she had committed adultery with another man. And so here we have Joseph most likely preparing his home, building a house for his new bride, when the news comes that she is already pregnant. Can you imagine the devastation that this would have caused Joseph? But the word also tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. And although he decided to divorce Mary, that's not the issue. Remember, in this culture, in his religion, he had every right to divorce her for bringing shame on his family. But what matters here is that Joseph decided to do it quietly. He could have called for her to be drugged outside of town and be stoned to death, to be executed, for everyone would have assumed that this pregnancy was the sinful act of Mary. He could have had her humiliated in front of the entire town. But divorcing her quietly was his compassionate choice. And so number three, enter God into this mess. An angel arrives. An angel arrives and tells Joseph that Mary wasn't unfaithful at all. In fact, this child is being born of the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph does what the angel of the Lord tells him and he marries Mary and he names their boy Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to downplay Mary's role in this Christmas story at all. I mean, she chooses to be receptive. She chooses to allow God to do whatever he wants to be obedient to God. She had to give birth to the child for crying out loud. She had to face all of this public ridicule, but Joseph did as well. He was was entrusting his, he was entrusting his entire family, their reputation to God and the word of this angel. This, especially in those days, was a scandalous story at the very least. But imagine this story is what God chose to birth his son into. This makes the, the royal saga of Harry and Meghan seem like child's play, doesn't it? <laughs> this, this story is how the incarnate God chose to enter into our humanity. And he did it with ordinary humans and with ordinary human struggles. This was not a pristine family without issues. Even though our nativity scenes, our nativity sets seem to portray it that way, we tend to focus on the, the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph, but we forget their humanity in this story. Yet, just like a lot of our stories, even though you are faithful to God, it doesn't mean that your path is going to be easy, does it? Rarely, if ever, are we free from burden and mess. Rarely. See, remember in this story that the angel appeared to Joseph. The angel didn't appear to his neighbors. The angel didn't appear to his friends. The angel didn't appear to his parents. The angel never told anyone to stop gossiping about this couple. Remember, everyone at this moment would have thought that Mary was unfaithful to Joseph. But the story changes. When Joseph decided to marry Mary anyway, we can assume that the community thought because he married her, well, he, he must have been the one to break this marriage contract by sleeping with Mary before the marriage was fulfilled. So by keeping her as his wife, Joseph brought all of that judgment she faced upon himself like father like son christmas is all about this incarnation it's all about god becoming flesh it's not a story of him born in a stable and less than pristine surroundings it's more about god entering into the messiness of human relationships Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus was so that he could take upon your judgment upon himself. It's why he was born. This Christmas, let us be reminded that God does not run away from our humanity. In fact, God does not run away from our mess, he enters into it, he embraces the mess. And we can be confident that if God is willing, if God is willing to enter into this complicated family dynamic from day one, then whatever situation that you and I would face in life is not too much for God to handle. See, no matter what you or your family have going on this season, God is with you. No matter what you are going through this Christmas season, Jesus is still Emmanuel, God with us. And no matter what your miss is, for God so loved the world that he sent his son into your life so that we might know and be known by him. There is no other better Christmas present than that. Write this down, that last line. God is not afraid of your mess. Jesus took on my life. Jesus took on your life, the good, the bad, and all of the ugly, didn't he? And he entered into every single bit of it. And he said, hey, Brian, I know the consequences for your sin. And it just so happens that I can do something about it. Right? So that baby that we celebrate this season was born into a mess so that he could redeem your mess. Anyone, anyone who could take away the consequences of my sin, your sin is worthy to be praised. Anyone who from day one says, I am not afraid to take nails into my flesh for you. Anyone who says, I am not afraid to walk through hell for you is worthy to be glorified. And that person, that Messiah is named Jesus and he is worthy to be praised. Would you stand up with us? Would you stand up with it? It is time to give this God, this Emmanuel, our glory. Amen. For the one who is worthy has been born, and his name is Jesus.
1: We are so excited to worship with you this last time Um, we've worked so hard on this song and it's a song that in practice overwhelms us and our prayer for all of you this morning is that you walk out here differently that Christmas this year looks different to know the knowledge that he's holy and worthy of all our praise
0: You be praised we thank you so much that you humbled yourself enough to leave heaven to come to earth but lord we know that this is just the beginning of the story your story doesn't end in this idyllic stable in this beautiful hallmark type story but lord we know that you entered into our mess too Lord, we thank you so much that you are not just God of the peace, but you're God of the mess. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are such a good God. You are such a great Savior that, Lord, you redeem our mess too. Lord, so today, as your Christmas present, may we give you our messes. Lord, would you enter into all of them, no matter who we are, no matter what our story is, no matter what we have going on, Lord Jesus, that you would enter into that mess today. Lord, that you and only you can redeem that. And so, Lord, we give that over to you. We give that to you and to think that you are such a good and gracious God that you would say that horrible present is good enough for me. That's what I want. I want your mess thank you, Jesus, for being who you are. We thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for all of our sins. There's not one person on this earth who has lived or will live that you have not already paid that penalty for us. It started at Christmas, but the story doesn't end there. So, Lord Jesus, would you help us this Christmas, to be hope, peace, joy, and love to our friends, our family, our community, and even, Lord, to our enemies. Lord, you are good. You are gracious. And you are worthy to be praised today. Lord, we love you. We thank you what you are doing. Jesus, Happy birthday. We love you. And it's in your name that all of us say together, amen. You are loved. We love every one of you. We're so thankful that you're here with us today. Thank you. Be hope, be peace, be joy, and be love to a hurting world this Christmas. You're dismissed. Thank you for coming.